see a lot of chatter about carbohydrate in our bariatric surgery eating group on Facebook. Some people think carbs are bad and try to never eat them. Others fear carbs and still others love carbs, especially the less healthy ones. Hi, I'm registered dietitian nutritionist, Dr. Susan Mitchell. Let's go beyond bariatric surgery. Let's talk about everything you need to move on. Are you confused and don't know what to believe about carbs? Every friend tells you something different, right? To make it more confusing, some post-surgery medical teams advise very little carbohydrate in the diet, while others caution their patients not to cup carbs too low. The idea that carbs are bad is flat out wrong diet information, and it leads to unhealthy eating. Just ahead, let's get the carb facts that you need. If you've had bariatric surgery, you need a specific bariatric multivitamin, not an off-the-shelf version. There's a big difference. In Australia, choose BN Multi. Find them at beyondbariatricsurgery.com in the shop. Joining me via Skype from El Paso, Texas, is registered dietitian nutritionist and bariatric dietitian by day, Jennifer Therani. She founded Archaic Nutrition and Lifestyle. It's a nutrition and wellness practice, and it helps clients manage diabetes, enjoy heart health, achieve their desired weight loss. Her focus, which I just love, is a whole food approach. Instead of, you know, clinging to a superfood or a fat diet is a shortcut to health and wellness. You can find out more about Jennifer and the links to her website and her social media channels on our website, beyondbariatricsurgery.com. Just click on the podcast, look for her episode, and then the show notes, or just go right to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash beyondbariatricsurgery. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I am too. It's my pleasure. Well, let's cut through all this confusion about carbohydrate, do some myth busting and get the facts. Should you be concerned or in fact fearful about carbohydrate after surgery or really any time for that matter? Carbs are not all evil and they taste pretty good. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Carbs are actually one of the three essential macronutrients that fuel our body. During the digestion process, carbohydrates are basically broken down into simple sugar called glucose for energy. The other two macronutrients include protein and fats. So let me explain what a macronutrient is for our listeners. Macronutrients are those nutrients that our body needs in large amounts for energy. Actually, glucose is the only energy source for red blood cells and the preferred source for our brain. So when bariatric patients come to my clinic and say, I'm more forgetful after surgery or my brain feels foggy, The first question I ask them is, what are you eating? And when I find them that they're not eating any carbs in their diet, my first priority is to allay their fears. And and do you find when you do that, when you've said, look, carbs are really great fuel for your brain and body, and here's why, do you see it uh, or notice a difference right away and the way they start to feel about that? And are they much more open to then adding carbs back? Yes, absolutely. For one of my patients, I had to really dig deeper and explain to him the rationale behind it because he was so fearful about eating carbs and then gaining weight after that. So I taught him how to actually go about 
introducing carbs in his diet back after surgery. That's so great. It's, it's interesting to me that with all the fears and all the confusion surrounding carbs, most people in the US, in the UK, and Australia still eat way too many carbs, way more than we need for our weight. So yet at the same time, we don't need to use this what I call the all or none thinking, to decide that if too much is bad, then zero carb must be good. There's gotta be an in-between spot, right? <laughs> That's right, Susan. As I just said, glucose is carbohydrate and it happens to be the one our brains work best on. So your brain occupies only 2% of your body weight, but consumes about 20% of your body's oxygen and up to 50% of your body's glucose. You know, I have to jump in there and say, it's really incredible when you think about it that your brain is only 2%. That's just a tiny part of your overall body weight, but it just gobbles, gobbles up blood glucose, uh, gobbles up glucose. Absolutely, yes. And also research has shown that a restricted carb diet can be detrimental to learning, memory, and thinking, and that's exactly what I see often in my clinic when my patients are not consuming enough carbohydrates after surgery. Yeah, you know, the, right now the keto diet has been uh, popular, and people go on it for various reasons, but often for epilepsy, and it's very high fat, low protein, very low carbs. It can work well for the brain, but it's very rigid protocol, and, and it's not one I would advocate for everyone, and, and this is where, to me, I see personalized nutrition or medical and nutrition therapy as vital at where there's a dietitian such as yourself really involved in this one-on-one one care. That's right. And even when you're not following such a rigid ketogenic protocol, just a general restriction on carbs can actually result in muscle breakdown to convert that to glucose for the brain. And all, all the time we want our patients to maintain their muscle and not lose their muscle. So the better way to go about it is certainly to focus on protein because there is a fairly rigid requirement for that for our bariatric patients, but then choose low glycemic index carbs. This can also help counterbalance the other problems that can come with low carb diet, including the muscle loss, constipation, which is big in our patients, and frequent snacking or cravings. Yeah, and you know, also I'm thinking about um, dumping and, and hypoglycemia with carbs. And just a little bit later, I wanna go to that. But first, let's go back a second because you mentioned glycemic index. Tell us what that's all about. Sure, the glycemic index is simply a scale of carbohydrate foods showing how quickly they get digested into glucose and absorbed in, into our bloodstream to become our blood sugar, to give us energy. So some foods break down quickly and raise blood sugar quickly, and they are said to have high glycemic index, or GI, such as jelly beans, while others break down slowly and increase the blood sugars more slowly, and are said to have a low glycemic index. An example of that would be baked beans, or my favorite, lentils. Oh yeah, I love lentils too. And, and while we're talking food, Jennifer, go into a little more detail about 
which foods are carbohydrates and which carbs are better low GI carb sources. So we can kind of define that. Well, carbohydrates are any food that contains starch or sugar. So fruit contains sucrose, which is a natural sugar. Anything made from starch, wheat or grains contain some amount of sugar as well. And some vegetables like potatoes, sweet potatoes, peas and corn also contain starch. Also, milk contains lactose, which is a naturally occurring sugar. So let me just interject right here. You know, when you know, I'm sure people are going, oh, sugar. Well, I can't have that sugar. She's saying naturally occurring, but I don't really get that. So when you're saying naturally occurring, that's the sugar that's found in these foods. And that is not a bad thing. That's part of just their overall makeup and which makes them a healthy choice. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. So how, when someone says to you, wait a minute, you just said these have sugar. How do you help them differentiate? So I tell them to look at the nutrition facts label. Um, a lot of companies have already executed um, it in their nutrition facts label where they put added sugars. So if they see anything that uh, says added sugars, then a light bulb should go off and they should know that, oh, this is this product has added sugars. But if it doesn't say that, then that is naturally occurring sugar. And I also give them examples like fruits and milk is always going to have naturally occurring sugar, also yogurts. But sometimes they can compare different brands of yogurts and figure out like, hey, you know, this has um, more sugar than this brand brand. So, you know, it has added sugars because some companies haven't really rolled out the new changes in the nutrition facts label. Yeah, so you're like me, you like everyone to become a label sleuth. <laughs> Absolutely. I tell them read labels. They are your best friends. Absolutely. And a little bit more than about the glycemic index, especially when it comes to fiber, how do you guide? So the lower glycemic index choices um, tend to contain more fiber, which I love. So a brand-based cereal will have lower GI compared to more processed cereal. And fruits are mostly good also. But I recommend patients to choose low GI fruits, such as apples, pears, peaches, oranges, and berries, as they're loaded with fiber, instead of high GI fruits like watermelon and pineapple. So do you tell them to try to do, instead of a, a never, or always or a never, do you just try to make more choices of some and less choices of the other? Absolutely, yes. I always tell my patients to incorporate one serving of fruit because even though it has naturally occurring sugar, it also has fiber and a lot of um, phytonutrients. Right. So anything containing white flour or added sugar is going to be a not so great choice or what we'd say less a less occasion <laughs> less on the occasion as far as the glycemic index goes and the carb rich plant foods like you were just saying the fruits the veggies the whole grains even nuts and legumes as you were saying your your favorites give us such a a host of those disease-fighting phytonutrients. And remember, phytonutrients or phytochemicals are just natural plant compounds. And in the body, they act synergistically or think of them like team players on a baseball team with thousands of other phytonutrients to boost your health and to shield you from disease. That's why variety and the diet is so important, right? Absolutely. 
and also keep in mind that sugar alternatives like honey maple syrup agave raw sugar and coconut sugar affect your body just like regular sugar i am so glad you mentioned that because there is so much misinformation on the internet about this but in the body all the sweeteners break down to glucose so they act the same and the research shows that lower gi foods are better for controlling blood glucose levels and we talked about these in an earlier episode so if you want to hear more about how these lower gi foods contribute to more stable moods and to controlling your cravings go back to episodes number eight number 16 we talk a lot about that they also produce more even energy levels throughout the day which can help you manage your appetite. So now for those of us who have been counting carbs, what would be the right general level of intake? The Institute of Medicine recommends 130 grams of carbohydrates per day to supply optimal glucose, that is energy, to the brain for adults and children. The World Health Organization, on the other hand, puts the minimum at 50 grams. You know, Susan, there hasn't been any specific research on bariatric surgery patients, which is why everyone is hearing and saying different things. You know, this goes back to what we said a few minutes ago. This is why I believe as dietitians, it's so critical that medical nutrition therapy is uh, individualized because no person is the same. You can't just say one diet fits all here. You do this and this is going to work because everyone's body's a little different and it takes you getting with the patient and talking about what's going on to find that right mix for them, don't you think? Absolutely. And that's exactly what I tell patients every single day. Your body, your hormones, your makeup is very different than the person who had the surgery on the same day like you did. So you cannot be comparing yourself with anybody else because your weight loss may be faster than others or slower than others, but you just got to go with the flow. And what do you tell them then? Do you start with protein as the top priority? Yes, considering that protein should be their top priority, carbohydrates and fats are a bit more flexible, but I often guide them to consume more than 50 grams of carbohydrates at least. So for example, if you aimed for 50 to 100 grams of carbohydrates per day, this would, this would mean around 15 to 20 grams at meals and snack. So which is what I would call like, for example, one serving, one slice of bread, one piece of fruit, or about half cup of cereal, rice or pasta. So that sounds easy enough to achieve when you're only eating about a cup at meals. Let's talk a bit more about carbohydrate and dumping, particularly for our Y listeners. Yes, and there was one study related to this on Y gastric bypass patients, which found that patients choosing modest servings of low glycemic index foods Remember, low GI foods are those that have high fiber, lost more weight. So I highly encourage patients to get their carbohydrates from nutrient-rich foods, such as whole grains, legumes, fruits, and non-starchy vegetables, and restrict their intake of the white carbohydrates, the more refined ones, such as sweets, desserts, 
and other refined grains. So let's look at what the eating the right level looks like in real food. So if we prioritize protein, we need around 60 to 80 grams of this, what's left for carbohydrate and fat? And how do you kind of break that out into a day? So I typically recommend um, a balanced plate containing 15 to 20 grams of complex carbohydrates, which is one serving plus protein, plus healthy fats per meal to my patients. So let's look at, a sam at sample meals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Breakfast, two egg whites with spinach, cooked in olive oil, and half a multigrain English muffin. Lunch, three ounces of 90 or 90 grams of baked chicken with a couple of yummy broccoli florets and one-fourth cup of pinto beans. And at dinner, my favorite, salmon bowl containing kale, three ounces of salmon, and one-fourth cup of lemon brown rice. Ooh, yes, that does sound good. And I also am a fan of pinto beans. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I love beans and salmon. Good combination. And I recommend protein shake containing about 20 grams of whey protein isolate for mid-morning snack and for mid-afternoon snacks, I typically tell them to eat 14, gram, 14 almonds or a piece of fruit or drink a glass of milk or eat vegetables with hummus. So really a lot of easy and tasty choices. Okay, let's go back to the question about dumping. What can you tell us about that and how to avoid it? That is related to carbohydrate intake. And it's mainly a problem after ruin Y gastric bypass surgery. There is quite a good fact sheet on the Obesity Action Coalition website. Okay, and you're going to give me that link, right? And I will post that in the show notes. So if, don't forget, if you want to see what that's all about, look for that link in the show notes at um, beyondbariatricsurgery.com. Absolutely. So dumping syndrome is a group of symptoms that are caused by the movement of undigested food into the small intestine. So our stomach has a valve at the top and at the bottom and it serves as an acid-filled storage tank, breaking food down into small pieces and passing it to the small bowel gradually. After gastric bypass, though, food passes directly into the small bowel, and there is no lower valve stopping it. So the food is mixed only with saliva, but not with the stomach acid. So the operative word you said a minute ago, gradually, doesn't necessarily apply here. No, it's very fast transition. So the small intestine res responds by diluting the in ingested food by drawing water into the intestine. The richer the food in terms of sugar content, the more water will rush into the small intestine to dilute it. This causes what we call early dumping and occurs within about 45 to 50 minutes of eating. So some of the symptoms... Um, include weakness and fainting, sweating, irregular and rapid heartbeat, low blood pressure, dizziness, flushing of the skin, shortness of breath, vomiting, diarrhea, and cramps. And these symptoms are not life-threatening, but can be frightening for patients if they don't know what is happening to them. 
I'm so glad you said that because this can be very scary and mm -hmm. rather hard to stop once it started. And I'm sure you're going, good grief, what is happening to me? You know, is this a life-threatening situation? So I think the fact that you said, no, it's not, and here so many of the symptoms is really helpful information. Yes, that way, if any of the symptoms arise, patient would immediately know that, oh, it's probably early dumping. And like I said, it's not life threatening and it will pass. So lying down can slow the dumping down. And there is something else that's called late dumping that occurs two to three hours after eating. This is mainly caused by excess insulin produced in response to rapid entry of food and fluids into the small in intestine. The high insulin levels lower blood glucose levels and causes symptoms including perspiration, hunger, shakiness, anxiety, difficulty to concentrate, exhaustion, faintness. And like I said, lying down is the best thing you can do. But putting a teaspoon of honey in your mouth and holding it there can help you absorb some sugar through the lining of your mouth to counterbalance the low blood sugar. So not swallowing it, keeping it in your mouth for about how long and then swallowing it, right? Yes, so you keep it in your mouth for about 30 seconds or 40 seconds uh, before you swallow it so that it doesn't hit your small intestine right away starting the dumping problem all over again. So over time, most people's bodies get used to the change in the setup of their system and dumping is limited mainly to the first year after surgery. But like we said before, that is not true for everybody. And so you have seen it continue on in others for a period of time? Yes. Okay. One last question. This has been such helpful, spot on information. What have you not told us about carbs that you really want us to know? So, so far I've said everything about carbs, um, but one thing I want um, our listeners to know that do not fear carbs and um, make sure that you're um, incorporating carbs at every meal and making sure that it's part of your snacks as well and mainly the complex low glycemic index carbs. That's such great information, Jennifer. Thank you for taking time to be our guest today. Thank you, it was my pleasure. Okay, so remember, a healthy long-term diet after bariatric surgery will include 50 to 100 grams of carbs per day on top of your protein and fat intake. You're best to stay away from, <clears throat> excuse me, the refined or processed sugars. Choose those lower glycemic index foods that Jennifer was talking about because they give you better energy levels, help you lose more weight and keep the mood and blood sugar <laughs> stable. Both really good things. If you've had gastric bypass, there's extra incentive to avoid sugars to stay away from dumping happening to you. It's so important to hear all about the issues you can face and what to do about them. We want you to stay empowered. We want you to move on here on the Beyond Bariatric Surgery Podcast. That's what we're about, your success. We want to give you as many tools as we can for your toolbox. 
be sure and check out the website, beyondbariatricsurgery.com. Remember, that's where you'll find information about Jennifer. That's where you'll find the show notes and the link she was talking about for more information. You'll find out courses we've got going on, supplements you may need, whatever it is, go there. Don't forget, we have the closed Facebook group called Bariatric Surgery Eating. You can be a part of that group. You can talk about the issues you're facing. You can ask questions. It's a large group. It's very supportive. So go to Bariatric Surgery Eating. Request to join one of the great free resources for all the members is this podcast. So check it out today. Beyond Bariatric Surgery is produced and owned by Practicalories LLC, all rights reserved. Remember, the content provided on this podcast is for information purposes only and doesn't create a patient-provider relationship. It's intended to provide reference material and is not designed to provide medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider regarding any medical issues you have relating to symptoms, conditions, diseases, diagnosis, treatments, and side effects. Podcast guests express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions, which do not necessarily reflect or agree with the host, Great Ideas in Nutrition, or Practicalories, LLC.